Hey everyone, you are listening to Medical Melanin, a podcast for all things medical. This is your host, Dr. Dominique Carey, family nurse practitioner, bringing you all kinds of things related to medicine, nursing practice, the professional field, and more. Hey everyone, this episode I am sitting down with Genesis. She is an adult gerontology nurse practitioner in Virginia in the DMV area. And our focus this episode is on being a 1099 employee. So a contractor with autonomy and independence in her career. So we really wanted to focus on the differences between being 1099 versus being a W-2 employee and how she went about that journey. What are the benefits and the cons to that and how you can go about getting into that field yourself. So let's jump into it. My name is Genesis Brown. I am an adult gerontology nurse practitioner in Virginia. I have been working, I was a nurse for six years prior to becoming a nurse practitioner, and I've been a nurse practitioner for four years. And I currently work with the geriatric population in home health and assisted living type settings um, as an independent contractor. So as far as your education um, went, did you go straight into like a four-year RN program or tell me a little bit about your education journey? Yeah. So basically I started my nursing journey back in 2013 and I originally, when I went to school, I said, I don't know if I want to become a nurse practitioner one day. I'm not even sure exactly what I want to do. So let me kind of regroup and start with an associate's degree. So I actually ended up getting my associate's degree in nursing from Northern Virginia Community College first. I worked as a patient care tech while in school to gain some experience and make sure that I, you know, really actually wanted to commit to this. Um, and I did end up loving it. Um, so I, I did that. I went to school, I worked as a patient care tech. And then once I finished my nursing degree, I went straight into uh, my specialty as a nurse, but also continued school. I never really stopped school until I was done with my NP degree. I pretty much for basically like nine years straight, I was in school from associates to master's. <laughs> Um, so that's my educational background. Yeah, I and I just went straight through, which is it's nice to um, it's nice to talk with other people who've done that because I know it gets frowned upon. But mm-hmm. I don't for me, I don't think it made a difference. How do you feel about that? I feel the same way. Honestly, it the school that I went to for my associate's degree was rigorous and it was hard to get into. Like this is a local community college that is not an easy program by any means. And then while working and going to school, honestly, I, I still gained the same amount of experience I would have done had I just not worked and then went to went to school straight ahead. I feel like it's actually better that I stayed in the field of working as a nurse while going to school because I gained that experience and also didn't waste time in between because I knew what my ultimate goal was. I feel the same way. I think as long as you work somewhere along the line that it doesn't really make a difference. I could see if, you know, I go right back. I never even work as an RN, which I don't even know if you can do. Like, I don't know if you can do that and get a job later, but as long as you gain some experience, I don't think that there's an issue with that. Did you say what you did as when you were just like a forward nurse or were you impatient? So yes, this is another area of, I think, debate for some when you come out of school. I was one of those nurses that went straight into intensive care unit, a specialty, I just knew myself and my ability to multitask and the way my brain worked. And I'm very detail oriented. So I knew ICU nursing spoke to me in that way. Um, I feel like there's a common misconception that nurses have to start on med search floors or on the floor. And I get it because it's like a foundational type thing. But for me, And the way my brain works, I just wanted to focus on two to three patients as opposed to managing like six or seven patients. And I I, med surge nurses work their butts off and so do ICU nurses, but I just, I knew myself and what would work for me. No, I mean, I feel like at least where I live, a lot of like ICU or we have 
the hospital that's local for me has an ICU and then a cardiac intensive and they market for new grads all the time. So at least here, there's not that stigma of that. I, I never worked that. I always did med surge when I was on the floor, but I would float down there occasionally, but they market for them here. That's good. I feel like where I live, um, cause I live in the, what's considered like the DMV, DMV region, which is DC, Maryland, Virginia and DC and Virginia and Maryland, those hospitals, there's a lot of competition. And, um, there's also some stigmas with nurse pre- or nurses going into specialties or more specifically nurses of color going into specialties and whether or not that's kind of blocked and things like that. There's a lot of stigma with that. I worked in the in the patient care tech world in the same hospital I got a job in, in the ICU. So I already knew everybody and it just was an easy transition, but there is a lot of debate about whether or not new nurses should go <laughs> to specialty or not. But I feel like I thrived in that environment. I think nursing is just, it's always a debate about everything. Everything's a debate. Yeah. <laughs> and that, yeah. So I, I just, you know, I think there's certain people, like there are people who need to start slower or need mm-hmm. to do those things. But a lot of times there's not, it's the, the similar debate, which I'll kind of get into what type of program your MP program was. I went to an all online program, except for clinicals. Mm-hmm. And you see people call them like MP mills and they're just like pushing people through. Yeah. I don't really consider that because we all take the same boards. Like if I don't get the information and I don't learn it, it I'm not going to be successful at boards or in my career. So there's schools that are in person or hybrid. And I think some people need that. Some people don't. I don't, I don't know. Right. Right. Yeah. I went to, so George Mason University, which is in Fairfax, Virginia is where I got my nurse pe- practitioner degree. It was considered hybrid mostly, but in reality, a lot of it was like brick and mortar. Like I went to class and then I did some online classes and then of course clinicals. My opinion of online schools, I personally feel like it's person dependent how well they're going to perform. Like, you know, I see a lot of people say, oh, well, if they went to an online school, they're not going to be strong in clinical or in practice. I've been with students that are, they went to hybrid or actual schools and classrooms that were not that strong in clinicals. <laughs> I've precepted students that were online students that were strong in clinical. So I think that it really is dependent on the person, their drive, their desire to actually put forth the best effort towards the patient as opposed to the school itself. Now, I do think the school should definitely have, you know, a good curriculum all around, no matter where you go, whether it's in person or online, if the curriculum is not that good in the students are like, you know, trying their best to learn the material and they're struggling, that's a whole nother set of problems. But whether it's online or in person, it's really the the student and how much they want to put forth the effort. I agree. I mean, I, from my own personal experience, I feel like online school is honestly harder. I mean, when I went through my program, we didn't even have recorded lectures. we, We were really that whole, we're teaching ourselves. That's really how it felt. It wasn't until I went to board review where I felt like, oh, I'm learning. And someone's teaching to me. I felt like I had just like learned and dumped that whole time. And so I think if I would have had some more in-person, it might've been easier along the way um, because I didn't have that. So yeah, I think it does just really depend on, um, depend on the the person. And if you're disciplined enough and enough to do that, because it definitely, took discipline. I will say when I started back to MP school, even though I went right back, I, in my mind, I'm like, this is, this is elevated nursing. It's not that hard. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I I did like the beginning, like the intro classes before you get to clinical, I'm doing just fine. But like, I'm enjoying life. I just finished nursing school. And then I'm like, I started struggling. I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta rein it in. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not doing what I need to be doing. This is not like, it's not just elevated nursing. It is but it's not, it's completely different. It was right. it's so different. It's so different. Like that whole plan of care, understanding how you come up with, you know, your differentials and how to treat a patient. I, I agree with you. Those initial classes, pharmacology, pathophysiology, all of that stuff, you're like, okay. And then you get dive deep into the actual diagnostics and what is going on with your patient. And 
that that there's a class specifically dedicated to that at George Mason. And that's where most of the students fail out if they're not going to make it when it makes that shift, because it, it is a shift. <laughs> did your school help with preceptors? No, they did not. <laughs> no, they did not. Not at the time when I went they, I mean, maybe something's changed, but they did not. And that, as you know, I, I'm not sure if your school, did your school help? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. So when I went, it they did not help. And it was so stressful. Um, but I've actually learned some things since then that has helped me with other nurse practitioners going through their programs. And that one, one of the biggest things is that networking piece and, you know, like joining organization, nurse practitioner organizations as a student, going to events for nurse practitioners and nurses in your area so you can meet people. Because had I not already known a few nurse practitioners, I would have been so stressed out. I, at one semester, I was like in tears, crying, looking for a preceptor. And luckily another person connected me with someone else, but no, they did not help us. And it was stressful. My very first clinical and my very last, I almost had to sit out because I could not find a preceptor. And I tell people like the preceptor, the paperwork of my program was honestly 50% of my stress. It wasn't even all of the schoolwork, which it, what, that is stressful, but it was just, am I going to find a preceptor? I'm finding them like a year in advance. Are they still going to be available? Which I had a situation where my preceptor wasn't. She, I was supposed to have her in the spring. And then she's like, well, I'm leaving like the middle of February. Okay. I wasn't going to be able to get my hours done. I lucked up. And the one I was currently with said, I can keep you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it was so much stress. I, I can't believe I didn't have like an ulcer when I got done with school. <laughs> um, and I didn't know, like I... I worked in a city, well, no, actually, even my first, my first couple of jobs as a nurse while I was in school were long-term care and home care. So I wasn't around providers. Mm-hmm. And then when I was, I was, um, I was in a different city working. It was close, but still, and I'm like, I don't know anyone. I was just cold calling offices. I, mean, I lucked up. I mean, the furthest I ever had to drive was like 45 minutes. Yeah. And I followed some physicians and MPs, but that was a big part of the stress of my program was finding a preceptor. It is. And you see, we see it on like uh, the social media pages for nurse practitioners and new NPs. They're begging for preceptors. And I've taken on preceptees as an MP now. And, but there's just so only so many of us, you know, and it's just sad. I know they're trying to change like schools are part of the CCNE accreditation are trying to change the way this preceptor situation is being done. But the also you have to have the NPs that are willing to precept. And I know people are paying for preceptors now. <laughs> yeah, that that's wild to me is having to pay. I would never charge a student to be no. my, I don't find any issue with having students. You get some per, like preceptors and they get like all up in arms about it. To me, <laughs> it's like free help. I don't, I don't know. You're helping me once, at least I've had good students. Maybe that's why. I know that the schools that do find the preceptors, sometimes they have to drive four hours away. They do. And so there's always a catch to it. It's like, yeah, we'll find someone for you, but you might have to move for six months so you can do your clinicals. Right, right. No, I I would never charge a student to be their preceptor, even if it's quote unquote, it wasn't a good experience. That's just it was what it was. I I just refuse to make another NP student pay to learn. (laughs) Just that's just me. But I know a lot of people that do it. So (laughs) yeah, I mean, that's wild. I, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I wouldn't do it either. Like I said, I don't know what the justification is for people who choose to do it. I just, I feel so bad for them because what choice do you have? You have to have a preceptor. So I guess you have to to pay. Thousands, uh, thousands. People pay like two, $3,000. So going into your actual experience as a nurse practitioner, what have you done and what are you currently doing? I know you said Jero, but as far as job wise. Right. So I haven't always done Jero. So basically I can see from ages 12 to end of life. I specifically chose that um, because uh, as much as I love kids, I did not want to take care of kids in a medical, <laughs> in a medical type setting. I just, I didn't want to deal with the parents. That's just me. But I, um, so right about December timeframe in 2018, because I graduated in 2019, I started looking for jobs before I took boards. 
But someone had mentioned to me about this new NP residency or the idea of an NP residency where you get paid, but you do rotations in a sense. And you also have um, a mentor. And there was one located in DC. So I said, okay, let me apply and we'll see what happens. I applied, I got selected for an interview. Um, and they were like, we only have four slots. I'm like, what? I was like, how competitive is this? Like, I thought this was, you know, like potentially not a hard thing to get into. No, they have four slots to fill. Um, and luckily I did end up getting one of the slots. So I actually ended up started, I took, I graduated in May of 2019. I took my boards in July and then I start working in the NP residency in September. It basically was one year of rotations in primary care, urology, interventional radiology. I mean, I saw all types of things. I got to work with doctors, nurse practitioners. And then throughout that year, I had a nurse practitioner mentor the entire year of my first year. So once I did that, I was able to then interview for a bunch of open positions at the facility where I did the residency. And I selected a position in urology, which I did for two years. Um, I recently left that role because of a commuting issue and work-life balance issue and decided to take on a role in um, geriatrics, home-based primary care type um, setting uh, as an independent contractor. I'm basically working for a nurse practitioner owned business um, it, because we're an independent practice state. After a certain number of years, you can own your own practice here in Virginia. So I work with a nurse practitioner um, as an independent contractor in local home health facilities as a nurse practitioner now. Kind of a lot. <laughs> no, I want to back up to the residency because so I live in a smaller like city, it's a college city. I'm about an hour outside of Indianapolis. I'm four hours from Chicago. I know for a fact I've seen postings in Chicago for it. I never really looked to do that. So I don't know what they have in Indianapolis. But mm -hmm. I think that's a great, a great option because my only like, my, my main complaint from MP school is that we don't get a lot of hands-on experience when it comes to like skills. Yes. I think I did an interview recently and I was like, I think the one things that PAs have up on us is that they do the skills. Like they, um, a right. PA I knew, like she was at, she went to John Hopkins for like a rotation. And so I think a residency for one, the like skill set and just having the opportunity to see what you want to do before you sign a two-year contract or whatever they right. sign and lock you in, is very important. Um, so I really didn't get the, um, chance to look into that but I know that they're around and I think they are becoming more popular they um, are I, yeah I urology is like completely different so I haven't talked to a nurse practitioner that's done that what did you mostly do over there so urology is so interesting because I was like what am I getting myself into you know like I had no idea because of course when we're in MP school there's no focus on anything like that like that is highly specialized right and so urology is a surgery based field um first of all so you're working with a bunch of surgeons which as you know, can have its pros and cons, but I actually loved all the surgeons I worked with. Um, and I had, I worked with another PA and one other NP. So this was a pretty large practice. Urology deals with things like kidney cancer, bladder cancer, prostate cancer, BPH, uh, urinary retention, lots and lots and lots of sexual medicine, which I was not ready for. And, you know, just so many other things, of course. Um, I actually truly enjoyed it. Like I did work in a federal government setting, so it's a little bit different than outpatient, but um, it was still a really good experience because you get to see your patients. Most of them are fairly healthy or happy people. Um, it's not like a very sick field, even with prostate cancer and kidney cancer, those are very treatable cancers for the, for the most part, of course, there's some, um, pretty, you know, significant conditions that are out there, but they're very treatable cancers when caught early. And so you didn't deal with like a lot of sadness, which was good. And, um, I, I really liked it. I would have stuck to urology and done urology only. And I'm, that's like shocking for me to say, because, I'm one of those people that I am very loyal to a place and, and it's hard for me to move around a lot. But as a nurse practitioner, I told myself I wouldn't close myself off like that. So 
you know, I loved it. Um, it's just that it was the commute was an hour and 45 minutes from my house one way. <laughs> so I worked five days a week. What time did you have to be there? I, so I live in the DC metro area. So you, you know, traffic. So I would leave my house at like 5.30, 5.40 to try to get there by eight o'clock. And then the doctor, the surgeon I worked under, he was so accommodating, but there's nothing he could do about my commute. So I would try to get out of there by 3.30, but I mean, I would still not get home till five. So it was fine my first year, but going into almost my third year there, I had, I had my daughter uh, two years ago. And after I had her, it was just very apparent that I wasn't going to be able to pull it off. Absolutely not. I cannot, I am not willing to drive more than 30 minutes anywhere, but it takes me 10 minutes or 15 minutes to get everywhere. And so I'm just, I don't know that I can give that up now. Like I, I have got to be able to like, especially with kids, like what if they call me like, oh, your kidney's picked up from school. Like, okay, I can run and do that. Like yeah. you're two hours away. If, they, if anything happens, you're going to, you got to drive two hours before you can even address it. So that would happen. Like she, she's an infant, as you know, like the first year of daycare is like horrific. So you go, you get a call. She's sick. It's like, oh my God, again. But I'm like, well, I can't be there for two hours. I have to call my husband who like luckily had a more flexible situation, but even that sometimes was really hard and he can't always be the person to like run and go. He has a very demanding job. So it was taking a toll. And, you know, like I said, he even tried to work some things out. My, the surgeon I worked for with COVID, because how can we forget the pandemic through all of this? Um, we, I helped him initiate a telehealth clinic. He had never done that before. I'm like, look, you need to get, get, you need to jump on the bandwagon. Okay. <laughs> it's like remote healthcare is in now. So we have the tools with this federal system to do it. You're not going to be able to do all of it, but some of it. So we had started telehealth for a lot of patients. It didn't matter. Like I still would have to go in five days a week, um, except on the days where I got to work remotely, but that was here and there. That's unfortunate. At least he was willing. That's nice. I, yeah, I, um, you know, urology to me is like the male OBGYN, even yeah. though I know women have a reason to go to urologists, but if I'm like any male patients I've had in primary care, I'm like, if it gets to a certain point, I'm like, you need to go to urology. Yes. Um, the only experience I have, my grandfather had prostate cancer um, and that cleared up. So we did that. And then my fiance had a vasectomy last summer and we were in and out of there in 12 minutes. Yeah. Like, Women have their tubes tied or removed now. That's a whole like surgery. They're down, they're in pain. Yes. He, it was 12 minutes. I recorded because I recorded it because like, he was laughing. He was hilarious. hilarious. He was on laughing gas and then <laughs> like he was hilarious. And yes. so I'm like, he was fine. And there was just the, like the cert, the guy was laughing and his um, assistant was in there. And I'm like, and then you're just done. I would do yep. those all day if I was. Yes, I know. And that's another thing we got to help with. And now after seeing all of those, I went ahead and told my husband, I'm like, don't even play with me when it comes to time, that time. Like when we make that, <laughs> it's like, let's not even have like, he's like, you've actually calmed my nerves about it since you've worked there. He's like, I, when that day comes, he's like, I'm going to run to the vasectomy clinic. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's just, it's crazy. It is so easy for them. It's so, so crazy. <laughs> no, it was good. I really like urology. And, um, and then like I was telling you now I'm in this uh, position where I'm doing home health, primary care. Um, I would actually call this more like concierge medicine in a sense, because I deal with Jerry, but it really is like, you know, Hey, I think I have a UTI. We have staff that come and collect the sample. We have mobile x-ray. We have mobile, you know, uh, just everything. They come into the house for people who just are basically like either bed bound or they're, they have dementia or advanced age and they just can't get out anymore. They can't drive. They don't have family around. So it's a really good resource for those that can't get out anymore, um, but still need primary care. Yeah, I want to get into that. So how do you feel going into homes? Because I have done home care on different aspects and I'm to the point where I just refuse to go to anybody's house anymore. But yeah. how do you feel about it? So at first I was really like, I had actually, it was actually a rotation in that NP residency, home-based primary care. And I said, 
I'm not ready for this. Like, cause I know myself, I'm like, I do not want to go in and, and just be completely shocked by what I'm seeing or, you know, but I did it. And there were a couple of homes that were, I was shocked. I'm not going to lie, but for, for the most part, lately, the patient population I'm seeing, um, it's been fine. Uh, but it still is always going to be on the forefront that I'm in someone's home that, especially when I go to a new patient, you know, what is this going to be like? What is the safety measures that are, that need to be in place? That is something that either I think you can overcome as a provider or not. And that kind of tells you whether or not home care is the route you want to go because so far it's been fine, but I can imagine if I go into the home of a hoarder or somebody with bed bugs or something like that, I would be so stressed out and, and, you know, overwhelmed by, am I going to bring this home or whatever the case may be? So I haven't experienced any of that yet, knock on wood, but I know that it could come and I really will have to figure out how I'm going to work through that mentally. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the last home care type job I did was as an MP and I did those like Medicare assessments. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And it sketched me out so bad. I was like, that's it. I'm done. I know. I know. And that's the thing. So I know a lot of people that want to kind of find the middle ground to doing what I'm doing, but not going into homes. What they ended up doing is facilities only. So they'll do like sniffs or, um, you know, uh, assisted livings or things like that, but they will not do like separate individual homes, apartments, nothing like that. It has to be attached to a facility that you know, like goes in and checks the apartments and do all those things. So there are people that do that. But the only thing about SNFs, like inpatient rehabs and skilled nursing facilities, you have to have an MD collaborator in like all 50 states, no matter what, because Medicare does not allow NPs to sign off on the initial assessment of SNF patients, as opposed to like home health or assisted livings. So that is the limitation with that, that you'll have to have a collaborator, but you know, that's okay. I mean, if you, if you don't want to go strict, like in a home and you want to stick to a building or a facility. Yeah, I would be, I would be more comfortable doing that. I would think, um, do you, so I'm assuming these patients are using their insurance. Yes. So I, we do of course take patients with no insurance, but they would have to pay out of pocket. So I don't, most people with no insurance are generally also not very financially well off, um, depending on the situation. So usually they can't afford cash-based services. So yes, we take Medicare and several other insurances. And, um, you know, that's also been a learning curve for me because when I'm coming from, I went straight into the NP residency that was federal and federal nurse practitioners and billing. It's not the same concept. It's very different. You don't have to stress as much about billing when it comes to federal work, but when you come out, everything, you know, RVUs and billing and all that stuff that I knew, I really knew nothing about that. And so I had to learn all about that. And um, so, yeah, we do take insurance and then we do some concierge type stuff. Like we'll do additional time on visits. We'll do, we have like 24 hour access line, not to us, but our staff. Um, we have some other things that we do or and offer uh, that are more concierge that people can pay like a membership fee for based on the practice. So there are some people that wanted to take advantage of that. And uh, it's been working out pretty well. Um, as I said earlier, I work as a 1099. So that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story there. <laughs> Yeah, I would say that my schooling did not prepare me for billing either. And I still, I'm not great at it because my primary care job that I worked, I've only worked one, like even though I worked a couple of different places in that, we were employer owned. So even though we filled out fee sheets, like they didn't get billed for it. So it wasn't like anybody was going to send it back to me and tell me it was wrong. And now in the practice I own, I am only cash based. So I still don't deal with insurance. Um, so I was not prepared and still not like an expert at billing. What do you do now? I like, what is your line of work? So a little bit of everything. I teach <laughs> full-time at a university also on my own clinic. So I oh. do medical weight loss, hormone therapy, IV hydration, 
vitamin replacement. And then I do a little Botox. I actually want to expand a little more into more aesthetic type things. I have been open a year on March 1st and I'm actually getting ready to expand. And so thank you. I've been um, open like three days a week and I, I'm there two days and then my grandma's my nurse. And so she's there by herself on Tuesdays and like our Tuesdays are starting to fill up too. So I'm looking to expand the days and I'm, I need more space. So I had like this small little 500 square foot office, like tucked on the back of this building that no one can ever find, but it's been great. That's good. That's so exciting. And I, I love to hear that. Like me, you know, I've been an MP for four years. I am just now dibbling and dabbling in that whole business venture business idea, because that's another thing, as you know, financial literacy and how we could actually leverage our degree is not taught to us in school. Even like now, like as a 1099, because I kind of want to get into that, you know, you can start like an LLC and pay yourself through your 1099 so that your taxes are different. Have you filed tax? Did you work all last year as a 1099? No. So I only did a quarter of the year and I did do that. I did create an LLC just because I had done enough research and the NP that I work with her business, um, she, me and her are very close. She actually was a priest. She was my preceptor five, six years ago. And we just stayed friends. And so she's been trying to actually hire me for years, but I'm like, girl, I'm not ready. Like what? 1099, my own, you know, LLC, all that, all that business talk and literally I was scared. Like, I was just like, I don't know anything about that. And she was like, I can help you. There are resources to learn how to, you know, open your own practice, do these things. You can do it. And so I think once again, had I been taught that or had I put forth the effort a little bit earlier, I probably would have even started something earlier. But now that I know I've been like full throttle, you know, just learning how to do it. So yes, I have my own LLC. She actually pays me through my LLC. Um, and that way, you know, from a tax liability standpoint and just all the benefits of it, the tax deductions and and, you know, my mileage, I drive back and forth to patients' houses all day. I have a home office now that I write off and all these things that we just don't know what we don't know. <laughs> yeah, if you're not already in this group, um, the elite nurse practitioner is a really great group. That's where I did a lot of my trainings for my business forum. And they, he has a tax class, which is very helpful, um, but hmm. there's just lots of like a lot of like talk back and forth. I get a lot of information from out of their practice stuff, but also like the business side, it's really helpful. Um, okay, but, great. And I am in that group and I just need to use the resources more. It sounds like. That's probably like my favorite group right now on Facebook that I'm in. So as far as like what you're doing now, like what's your schedule like? So I had to learn this the hard way. When I left my last job and was waiting for credentialing with this job, I took on a kind of intermediate 1099 for as a workman's comp MP. I only did it for a month because I was like, this is not for me. This is like, this is another level of just, I, I, this just isn't for me. And you don't need to be like credential with insurance and all this stuff. So it's a super quick turnaround to being able to start. That was a 1099 position that I did not take advantage because I was, I didn't really read before starting. I just kind of took on the job and understood that I had to, you know, take out taxes on my end, but I didn't really read about deductions and the schedule. And they were like trying to force me into a schedule, which for a 1099 employee, you can't even do that. But I didn't know any of that. They're like, you have to work every Wednesday and Thursday. And I'm like, I thought that I was an independent contractor. <laughs> this is not. So now that I was able to kind of sit down with a couple of business people and actually start my true 1099 job, um, my schedule is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. I kind of did the math from a reimbursement standpoint um, with Medicare and some other insurance companies, plus cash pay and concierge stuff. And ideally, I try to see anywhere from five to six, um, like pretty high level patients a day. If they're low level, then I need to see a little bit more. But five to six is my happy number, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So about 15 patients a week, Monday and Friday, I'm off. Um, I do some ancillary stuff, telehealth stuff here and there, but really and truly those are my bread and butter days, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And from there, I have learned that there are some things that I can take advantage of as a 1099 employee, conferences, different skills classes, you know, DEA license, all this licensing, that is not, that is no, that is a tax write-off. 
Okay. Because it's necessary for my job. <laughs> so those are things that I'm learning from this uh, journey and I, and I'm appreciating it. And actually it's taken me a little while to get used to this way of work, um, being paid by the work I do, not being paid on days off, all of that, you know, getting used to that, um, coming from a traditional nine to five, you know, every two weeks, W2 employee. Yeah, there's definitely that fear there. I mean, I even have it now thinking about whenever I'm going to be ready to go full-time into my business and not have like a, a regular job. Um, the good thing is like you you said, you have a husband. I, I have a fiance, like he'll have insurance. So it's not as scary as if you're on your own by yourself. But that is that fear of like, what if I don't get paid? Are you typically always booked? Or is there ever like a day? No, I'm not always booked. That's the other thing. Like I kind of have to hustle. Like I actually have attended now two networking events within the last month. Asked me to network six, you know, four years ago. I would have been like, why would I do that? Because it's, you know, I'm in a federal job. I don't have to network. I just show to come to work and hear the patients. Now being a 1099 is in a sense, no different other than a couple of things, you know, from a, from a, a, a lot of things, right. As far as expenses go when you're starting a business, but in the sense of getting patients, I mean, she does help of course. And I really appreciate that, but she doesn't have to. I really have to hustle and meet people and learn them and go out there and put my name and face out there. And that's something I was not used to. Like I am the type of person that loves to help and loves to be a mentor to other nurse practitioners, but actually gaining patience and talking business or even thinking of things in a financial way or financial transaction type way. It was hard for me in the beginning, but now I'm understanding the the importance of relationships and just putting your name out there so that people know who you are and what you can offer. Um, that's not something I was familiar with before. Yeah, I can admit that I'm a horrible salesman and even selling myself. And so I just, I hate talking like money face-to-face -face with people. It is so, I, and people surprise me all the time. I have people, I'll be like, yeah, it's going to be $500 a month. They're like, yeah, cool, here. I'm, and like, I'm so used to people like balking at that and be like, yeah, no. And I do get those. Yes. One of the biggest thing is like learning that every patient's just not for you. And, and this, like even your business, even though you have insurance, like it is still a luxury to have people come to your home. So yes. learning that every patient is not for you, this is not for everybody is hard because like it's uncomfortable to talk that money, especially face to face. And I have gotten better, but I'm still learning to like be good at being a salesman. I'm not. Yes, <laughs> no. And I, and once again, I think that, and I don't know about medical school or PA school and what they teach them about business and how to, you know, how to actually get patients and all that. I don't even know if they do any of that, but what I will say is you're absolutely right. Not every patient is for you or for your brand or for your business. And I had to learn that as well. And I have the, even though I take insurance, I have, like you said, it's a luxury. It still is a luxury. And I feel that there are patients that we've had to discharge from our practice. It's not just me. It's one other, it's two other NPs in the practice and they are in their own um own uh, area. I'm in another part of Northern Virginia. One is more Western. One is more kind of, you know, so all of us have our own set of patients and they will say that this patient has been very difficult to manage or whatever the case may be, whatever the situation is. And sometimes they have to be discharged because it's just not a good fit and that's okay. You know? So, and that, that's something with business. I think you have to understand too, is you won't be able to please everybody and that's okay. You don't want to. <laughs> I talk about healthcare surveys all the time. And I think like corporations, networks, these big hospitals and, and um, networks, they have ruined that because these surveys, like, is it important? Do we need to know what your care was like? But there's the sense of entitlement. And like, like I said, the, the job I was at was um, an employer-owned clinic. So these were employees and their dependents that were on the insurance. And like for us, a lot of times they were nasty and mm. they, it almost like they felt like, like, you know, you work for me, like this is, I paid my insurance, whatever. Right. And it was, it was really bad. And the, the, the sad thing about this is that these are educated, employed people not like you people always assume like oh working at like a fqhc and lower income they're typically a great population it is the employed 
more yes. affluent, educated patients sometimes that are nasty and hard to deal with. Yes. And so being in my own practice, it's nice to have that control because if you're coming out of, you know, you're working in a network or a big corporation, you don't have any control over that. They really don't discharge people. They don't want bad surveys. So no. whatever that takes is what they'll do. Right. I completely agree. Yeah. And I, that's something. And the other thing I also am learning, and you could probably talk about this more is that being a 1099 or having your own practice or whatever the case may be, I've had to learn how to set better boundaries (laughs) because you could really work 24 seven, honestly, like all day, all weekend, all, you know, I just had a conversation with a patient literally maybe like three hours ago that I explained to her, we are not, this is primary care. This is not, you know, the ER or an urgent care. So if you're having symptoms of something and we are not available because it's Saturday at 9 PM, you have to go to the urgent care or what would you do for your primary care if they had a physical office? I think because, you know, we're going into the home, of course, they build that rapport, they get closer with you, they feel like your family, or whatever you want to call it. But in reality, I have a family at home. So you have to make your way to urgent care or ER during certain hours, because I'm not always on the clock, or I would I would be no good to anyone. You know, um, so that's not, that's another area that I'm trying to learn. <laughs> yeah, I have so much to say about that. For one, I'm very good at boundaries to the point. My grandma says that I'm harsh. I'm not. I'm like, one, this is a business. Two, I have to set boundaries because people don't understand. Like I say all the time, like you really can't give people free will because they just they'll take all they'll take over. And I say it all the time, like even in teaching. When you're sending me a message, a lot of times, like, you think it's just you, but it's not. There's typically, like, multiples. And so, like, if you don't set those boundaries from the beginning, it runs rampant. Um, right. You know, I I do a lot of off-time communication in my business because it's really built into the, the fee that they pay. Yeah. But with that being said, like, when I'm off, I'm off. And your emergency is not my emergency because I am not an ER or urgent care. Right. I make it very clear, like you have to have a primary care provider to come to my clinic because I'm not a primary care provider. Um, you know, I make it very clear that for certain appointments, you have to have your forms filled out 24 hours in advance. That gives me time to look at it or your lab's done at least 48 hours. You know, if you do that and the lab is taking forever, that's not on you. But if it's not, like I'm canceling your appointment because right. you did not respect the boundaries and you're inconveniencing me, you know, don't do your app, your forms two hours before your appointment. I don't have time to look at that. No, no. Your time is your money and your value. That's really important for people to understand. So just as you would respect someone in there, if you go to your appointments and, or your meetings or whatever the case may be, you're not just running late with all your papers. Here you go. You know, like figure it out. And it's like, no, I, we're going to reschedule. We're not going to stress about this. <laughs> like, no, I, I refuse to stress about it. The other thing I get all the time is people will call or message me on their way to their appointment because they're running late for both uh, patients and for students. It's like if they tell you, like if they talk to you, they feel like it excuses whatever the consequences are. Like if you tell me that you're running late and you still get there 20 minutes after, like, okay, you told me and I, I, okay, and you might still have to reschedule your appointment. You know, if you turn your paper in late, Depending on, you know, the situation, you can email me and tell you that, but it may still fall for the consequences. But people feel like if they like talk to you and they like, that it's like excused. (laughs) Yes. And that's not the same. And so I struggle with that. The other thing is I'm obviously the face of my business and I live in a little bit smaller place. So people think I'm always on the clock too, which I am, but I'm not. There's information that I will give. And again, I have, like I tell my grandma, I'm like, this is a business. I'm in this business to make money and people shame you for that. Yes. But I'm like, that's the point of the business. So like there's certain information I will not give you out on the street because you have to pay for a consultation and come and see me. Yeah. And that's okay. Like, and that's something I even talked about when, when we were as a group, my current group setting up the concierge part of our medicine, um, the initial comprehensive fee, like fee, it's a little bit higher than a membership model fee because we are spending two hours sometimes with people or longer going over, you know, information, reviewing records, seeing what will fit best for you. What is going to make sense for your situation? Do you really think any regular appointment is going to spend that much time? No, 
15 minutes in and out. You're on the clock. They want you in and out. And guess what? Guess why? Because it's a business. Like you want to really know the truth. The, the same people that you go see at those clinics, like the regular clinics, not related to, you know what I mean? Like somebody in their private business, big name clinics, it's a business. <laughs> so across the board, you just got to respect it because it's a business regardless, okay. no matter if you're in a smaller clinic or a larger clinic. Yeah, I've seen, I've cleaned, especially physicians, I've seen plenty of them, especially like older physicians get like mad going because they're spending too much time. In the appointment. So yeah. it's the same. Yeah, it's the same thing. Some a couple of things here, like at the end, um, business-wise, you kind of touched on a little bit. What would you say your goal is for the next year or five years? Yeah. So in the next year, I really want to like continue to really hone in on my overall passion. I actually have a really high level passion for like nursing mentorship and um, kind of like giving back to the nursing profession because we do need more young nurses and young more nurse practitioners. We do need more young black nurse practitioners to know that they will provide value and they can provide value to their communities. And there are so many things that we weren't taught in school. Um, we are a walking, talking product. Like our knowledge is here. We don't, we don't build things. We don't, you know, whatever. We don't, we're not drawing buildings. We're not architects. Our knowledge and skills are transferable though to more than just bedside nursing, which by the way, bedside nursing is amazing for growing your skills. And if you love it, keep doing that. But you know, if you want to grow and leverage what you know in your brain that you've spent years and years and years learning, and even if you want more flexibility, then it's important to know that you can do that. So I want to be able to provide a resource for that. And then in five years, like if I could have my own practice, um, whether that be like a more concierge type situation or um, something that focuses on women's health, um, I would love to do that. Um, and just continuing to find new ways to leverage my degree. I, after this past year, I've just come to the realization that um, working a nine to five is wonderful. It's great. Um, but I also will not put all my eggs in one basket. Like I'm going to have other available opportunities that I'm going to make happen <laughs> for me. No, yeah, I completely agree. It's it's, it's just the fear. It's really the fear that holds people back from that. Mm -hmm. Because once you, once you do it, you're just like, you're set free. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so at the end of every episode, I like to ask for a piece of advice on anything we talked about, anything that you have on your heart to give advice about. Okay. So I, we kind of talked about it just a little bit before, and that's not putting all your eggs in one basket. I want to dive into that a little bit deeper. When I worked as a registered nurse, I was actually pretty burnt out by the six year mark. You know, like once I was in MP school, I was pretty burnt um, for a number of reasons. But a lot of that was because I didn't properly use my degree or my skills the way that I could have. And I didn't value my time. Time is so valuable. And if you're in a situation that no longer serves you, you have several areas that you can pull from as a nurse. Like you should never forget how marketable you are. So I think my best piece of advice would be be open to being uncomfortable because when you're uncomfortable, you're going to learn new skills. Um, be prepared to invest in yourself. And while working, you know, a consistent schedule obviously puts food on the table and takes care of your expenses, find a way so that you can work and cover your expenses and your goals, but also still be personally fulfilled. However, you can make that happen. And in any way that you can make that happen, that is my advice because if you're working in an area that you're passionate about and you're doing things that make you feel fulfilled, it won't feel so much like work every single day. That's great. That's definitely a golden piece of information. And so, I, I mean, I completely agree. I think we're both in positions of uncomfortableness and that is where, <laughs> that's where growth comes from. So it's all about, it's all about the end goal. The journey is always hard, but that makes you appreciate it at the end. So yes. um yeah, well, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think definitely I'm kind of jealous. I kind of want to do that. <laughs> oh, please, girl. I'm like trying to figure out. I'm like, okay, she has a, a health, hormone replacement, men's health kind of mixture here. Let me figure out if she needs uh, a, franchise, a franchise in Virginia. <laughs> 
Well, I appreciate you doing this episode. The conversation with Genesis brought up so many important things, not only to the medical field and medical providers, but for just anyone in a stage of life where they are trying to grow. Whether you are wanting to open a business, go back to school, try a new career path, taking that leap is so difficult. Um, Even myself, so opening my business last year was scary. Now I'm ready to try and expand. And that's scary again, you know, especially when dollar signs are attached to things we are so afraid to make that but that uncomfortableness like we discussed is a great thing for us it pushes us to go through that journey and get to the other side talking about being a 1099 is also so important because that was new to me and no one had ever talked to me about what that means not having taxes taken out of your paycheck is daunting honestly i don't prefer to be a 1099 because i'm still not great at self-control and making quarterly pre-tax payments so now just like this year i owe taxes and some people are okay with that um but some people are not and it really is a personal decision And if you understand taxes, you'll do a lot better with that. Also, you know, like I brought up, opening a business, an LLC to pay yourself through will help with people who are not that good or tax savvy so that things like owing thousands of dollars in taxes don't come up. So I'm really glad with a lot of the discussion I had with Genesis. Um, I have tons of people on the schedule, you guys. So the interviews are going to keep coming. They'll, they're not only going to be interviews. There's going to be times I'm discussing different topics that's not necessary interview especially if I have repeat guests that you've already met so continue to follow along remember you can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Anchor follow me at Rejuvenate Muncie on Instagram Facebook and TikTok and visit the website www.rejuvenatemuncie.com and when you're listening to the podcast please like follow share and leave five-star reviews I would greatly appreciate it so I'll see you guys next time 